0: Thank you, ladies. I won't have you stand this morning for the reading of Christ's word, but I do have a scripture that we're going to move slowly into, uh, but I would like for us to begin with prayer this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for gathering us here together as family members, uh, as friends, and ultimately, your Lord, uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ. For that is the tightest bond that we have. As thick as blood is, Father, we thank you for your son's blood that makes us even tighter in bond. And so, Lord, as we hear the word that is preached this morning, may it enliven our hearts. May it give us a passion to pursue your son's kingdom as he reminds us to seek first your kingdom. And so as we hear the word preached, as we listen closely and intently to what you have for this morning, may we be enriched and may we be a people that look more like you and less like ourselves. We offer all these things in your son's name. Amen. It was, as Shannon and George said a few minutes ago, this week we are looking at joy we've slowly moved week by week next week we'll look at love but this week we're looking at joy and every single time i hear the word joy as it relates to christmas time i think of joy to the world and i'm so glad we sang it because that is uh, a part of the service this morning a part of the sermon title this morning is joy to the world the lord is come that exact line from isaac watts own pen itself. And if you know anything about Isaac Watts, if you've done any history uh, reading about him, he's one of our uh, most famous hymn writers. Penned many, many hymns, but he was also a poet uh, in, in many ways. He was able to break down Uh, the words in which we use and put them in such a fashion that it just absolutely boggles our mind that we're able to really understand the depths of how you can take these words and put them side by side and communicate so much. And in fact, one night while his father was reading scripture and guiding the family in their prayers, uh, Watts, Isaac, Watts spotted a mouse climbing up one of the bell poles, and he began to smirk and giggle His father rebuked him. Shh, be quiet, son. And he asked him after the lesson was over, why in the world were you laughing in the middle of me teaching? And he responds, there was a mouse for want of stairs ran up a rope to say his prayers. Even at an early age, he just understood how to put everything into rhyme. And we do this with our children, too. Don't we? We tell them to make these rhymes. But just like any kid, if you invite them into rhyming, what do they keep doing? Everything becomes a rhyme. And so they play with this. And us as parents, we get to hearing the rhyme and rhyme and rhyme. And we say, what? Okay, take a break from the rhymes. This is exactly what his father told him. He rebuked him and said, okay, we got to chill it out on the rhyming. We can't rhyme everything. In our lives, well, his mother uh, shortly thereafter began cleaning the home, and she was putting something into Isaac's chores, uh, his Chester drawers, and what he what she noticed was he had a number of poems written in there, and she was blown away by how he understood so well how to rhyme and bring in tempo, and so she took Isaac into the kitchen. And sat him down and said, do not move from this table. I want you to write me one poem. Just whatever it is that comes to mind, I want you to write. And here's what he wrote, church. I am a vile, polluted lump of earth, so I continued since my birth. Although Jehovah's grace does daily give me, as sure this monster Satan will deceive me. Come, therefore, Lord, from Satan's claws relieve me. Wash me in thy blood, O Christ, and grace divine impart. And then search and try the corners of my heart that I in all things may be fit to do service to thee and sing thy praises too. He was seven years old. Remarkable. This man already showing at a young age the entire history that he would live out of creating hymns and beautiful songs for the church to sing 300 years later and as we know every Christmas time as we sing Joy to the World it's one of the church's most popular hymns that we sing his inspiration for the hymn was Psalm 98 which Shannon read for us here just a few minutes ago and if I could let's, I'll invite us into hearing these nine verses from Psalm 98 it reads this way O oh, sing to the Lord a new song For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre. With the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, our Lord. Let the sea roar in all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. That is, you hate to say that you have a favorite psalm, but this is by far one of my most favorite. Just being able to hear the rivers clap, the mountains sing, it's all of creation joining in for the fact that the king has come near to his people. He's not removed, he's come very close. And when he was commenting about this very psalm itself. Isaac Watts said, In these two hymns that he wrote, I have formed out the 98th psalm to fully express what I esteem the first and chief sense of Scripture, and it is this, that the Old Testament points to Christ. Psalm 98, if we can hear it, it is all of creation joining in together in harmony Praising that the king has come. As y'all were talking about the star, all animals, all people, magi, (laughs) other nations coming to see that this king has been born and he's right here in front of us. All of creation joining in. And I think Isaac Watts is spot on. Once it comes to the Old, Old Testament, especially Psalm 98, it longs for fulfillment. So that's my aim this morning, for us to look closely at Psalm 98, a handful of verses, and to see Christ the King. To be able to see how He comes near to His people and also to to display and to give away His joy to His people. So let's look at that. Verses 1 and 2. Let me reiterate those. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed the righteousness in the sight of nations. If you see one theme of many themes throughout the Old and New Testament it is this. whether singing, there's also salvation closely intertwined. Think of it like a thread that's woven into one another. Singing and salvation And in fact, if you look at Exodus, the first 15 chapters of the story of Exodus, you have these people crying out, waiting for salvation from some Messiah to come. God hears the cry, sends Moses to rescue this people. And as they move through the land, get to the Red Sea, go through the Red Sea, and land on dry land on the other side, you know what they do? The very first thing they sing singing and salvation are tied to one another. It's one of the very reasons why we come to church is to sing about the salvation that the Lord has brought near to his people. And as I was thinking through these verses this week, I had two or three quotes that came to mind, um, well, two that came to mind and one I stumbled across. The first one comes from Augustine. He was a famous Christian writer author um, philosopher, theologian in the 4th and 5th century, he said this to sing is to pray twice to sing is to pray twice I love this quote because it's one thing to be able to voice your prayer to God but that the words themselves are the prayer when you sing it's your melody and your words coming before God So to sing is to pray twice. Or Martin Luther, the German reformer, said that singers are merry and free from sorrows and cares. What he's getting after is that all the sorrows and cares that we have right in front of us, they're ultimately held in the hands of the one who is sovereign over those sorrows and cares. That is why the church sings, and that's why their singers are merry. Or Hans Christian Andersen, you might know him as uh, the writer of The Little Mermaid. He, sang, uh, he wrote this, where words fail, music speaks. How often in life have you been that way? Where you could not voice what it was before Christ, but you were able to hear a song. And it was all, almost like it was able to speak for you what you were trying to emotionally say. Where words fail, music speaks. And when the psalmist invites us here in Psalm 98, he's inviting God's people to sing a new song. He's inviting us to give thanks, to celebrate, to pray twice, to express our merriment. And he's also trying to get us to see that our sorrows and cares are in the hands of the God who saves. That is just a few reasons of why we sing because the Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness to the sight of the nations. Those two words, made known and revealed. The Hebrew words here, make known, made known, and revealed, uh, they're getting to the publicness of redemption. It's happening right in front of your eyes. Right there in front of us, to make known, to reveal because salvation is so public that the eyes of the nations, some of your translations might say the sight of the nations, that Hebrew word is actually eyes, the eyes of the nations right there in front of them. So the psalmist is likely, I would say, bringing out Exodus. He's looking back, the psalmist is looking back to the salvation that was made so public to the people of Israel and everyone watching mainly because we sort of have this clue in verse 3 of Psalm 98 steadfast love and faithfulness that's those are the cues those are the clues that are pointing us back to Exodus story because after the people were brought out they're redeemed from oppression and slavery and brought slowly into a land of freedom in Exodus 34 verses 6 and 7 those two words happen steadfast love and faithfulness. The Lord remembers His own steadfast love and faithfulness and He redeems a people. And so Exodus recounts and retells this story of the public redemption of Yahweh, of God Himself. And it's no different for us today, church, of the public redemption of God The fact is, is that we can sing joy to the world because God has put on display himself in a manger where other people come. Creation comes to say that this is our king. Public. So please don't let anyone fool you into believing that your faith is merely private. It is radically public. Because the two major events in history that happened are the incarnation of God and the resurrection of God. Both two very public events and happenings because of the hand of God himself. And so when Paul pens his first letter to the Corinthians, he doesn't just say, I saw him. He says, I saw him, all the disciples, and more than 500 disciples saw Jesus walking around, resurrected from the dead. It can't get any more public than that. So we remember the God who has acted on our behalf, who has entered into history and shown his public redemption. So church, keep singing, not only with our lips and our lungs, that Christ's redemption, Christ's loving kindness, Christ's unfaithfulness, but also... Keep singing with your entire lives of what Christ has done. Let's jump to verse 4. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. These verses give me comfort because it says make a joyful noise. It's not the same as a joyful melody. I'm not great at singing My brother, I always say, got about 98% of our musical talent in our family. And then my sister and I share about 1% each. He got all of it. And Blake says, me too, right? But we're thankful, Blake, that you stand up here and you can lead us, brother. But I get comfort from these verses because I can make plenty of joyful noises. I'm not so great at making joyful melodies. But let's look at that word joy, Joy, I've said this a couple of times before in front of you, joy is a divine gift, a divine gift. Just last week, Jade and I uh, celebrated our 10-year anniversary, and we went to Franklin, and just like when you go and celebrate anniversaries and things like that, we went and shopped, you know, we, you go and do other things for other people on your anniversary where you're supposed to be with one another and looking and enjoying one another. And So we got Christmas shopping done with one another. And so we, one of the places that we went into was Kohl's. We're big Kohl's fans. We go into Kohl's probably too often. Mm-hmm. And when I entered into Kohl's, they had this statement all throughout the store and I actually heard it over the intercoms as well. Get joy, give joy. Get joy and give joy. Now, I'm not going to say anything bad about Coles. I already told you we're fans of Coles. But maybe that's slightly misguided to say that we can go and get joy. Joy cannot get got, church. Or if I can be more grammatically correct, you cannot go and get joy. Joy, it is a gift. It is a gift. As we're reading through our Sunday school class, a book about the fruit of the Spirit, and when we get to the chapter of joy, our author that we're reading says this, and he's looking back to the Old Testament. Israel's songs were totally honest before God about anything They did not pretend that everything was fine and try to look happy anyway the way that we may feel pressured to do in church and yet by bringing all their suffering into the presence of God they were able to turn back to hope to praise and even joy because of their unshakable faith that God was sovereign and would never abandon them. The same is true for us church as it is as Israel is that we've all done it we've come here and put our faces on we've pretended that things were okay but that's not the invitation of the psalms it it invites us to come with who we are truly are and who we're struggling to be and all the messes that we might bring and hand them over to christ so that he might give us rest and also like israel we too must remember with unshakable faith that God is sovereign and that He would never abandon us, ever. The Christmas story assures us that God doesn't abandon His people, but rather draws ever so near to us to gift us with joy. So back to my point, you cannot get joy. Joy cannot get God. You don't go looking to discover joy. There's no map that you can buy that leads you to the treasure of joy. It's not there. It doesn't exist. There's no map. There's also no magazine that can promise joy in five easy steps. It's not there. And also, the last time I checked, you cannot purchase joy from your Amazon Christmas wish list. can't get it on Amazon. Joy ultimately is a gift, and you are surprised by joy. You are ultimately, you're surprised by joy. One of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, when he wrote his autobiography, he named it Surprised by Joy because that was his story. He, as an atheist, was trying to disprove the scriptures and disprove that God existed. And what happened is he was surprised by joy. It was a gifting to him. And so he wrote these lines. All joy reminds. It is never a possession. It's always a desire for something longer ago or further away and still about to be. It's always there close by us. And it's going to be gifted over to us. So we are to be surprised by joy. The joy that comes in a manger for example, that joy that is gifted to us. You are surprised by joy like Mary when she receives news from the angel that she will conceive of a son who will exercise a rule greater than David's and who will be a savior after the seed of Abraham. You are surprised by joy like when the Magi entered into the presence of the newborn king and you're speechless. And your only response is to bow a bended knee in worship. You are surprised by joy when the aged priest Simeon, who longed to see the face of the Messiah, and yet he is overwhelmed with emotion when he held the babe Jesus in his hands, and his response is this. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of nations and the glory of your people Israel. Joy is a gift, church. It's heaven's hands leaning down to us and giving us this gift of Christ, who is our ultimate joy. If there's a common movement in Scripture, it's, it's a downward movement. It's a descent. Because when you look in Genesis, God descends... To covenant creation into existence. In Exodus, God descends to covenant with his people, to dwell with them. In the New Testament, like the Gospels present, God descends in the incarnation. And then if you look at the last book of the Bible in Revelation, God descends in the renewal of things. The pattern of redemption that we see throughout Scripture is one of the descent of God who comes near. And in this season of Advent, let me reiterate, Advent means a presence. It means a coming close to. And specifically, we find a descending presence of God who comes near to us in the person of Christ himself. So as part of Advent, we prepare our hearts to receive the king who comes down to us. Since we began with Isaac Watts, I thought it would be fitting that we end with joy to the world, at least the first five lines. Joy to the world. Joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. I hope you can sing this week, church, with your lips and lives about this joy. The joy of, that is ultimately redemptive. This joy that is public. This joy that is transformational and this joy that is really a gift to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can gather here this morning to hear your word preached, that we can sing about your salvation, and that we can echo the words of the Psalms, specifically Psalm 98, that we are to break forth into a new song, that we can... Rejoice that the king has not abandoned his people, but he has come near. And so, Lord, may you continue to remind us this week that you, you indeed do invite us, not just with our lips and lungs, to sing about your joy, but also to live out with our lives that joy. And so wherever we see people who are needing that gift of joy, may we be givers May we point to the joy that has been given to us 2,000 years ago. And so, Lord, work in our own lives to remind us that all of creation is a gift to us. And the people and our families and our friends are all gifts to us. But most importantly, may we remember the eternal joy that you give through your spirit. That it gives life and sustains us. And as Christ reminds us, it is an abundant life where there is... No end to it. Work in us this week, O Lord. Transform our hearts and our minds and our hands so that we might be of service to you to point to the joy that we have ultimately in Christ. We offer all these things in his name. Amen.